Welcome back to Return to Odyssey. I'm Josh. I'm Rachel. And we are taking a deep dive into old Adventures in Odyssey episodes. Thank you for joining us. If you listened to our first episode, we talked about Wit's Flop, the first episode ever in Adventures in Odyssey. And today we're going to talk about the second episode, Life of the Party. But before we get into that, I want to address something that I said in the last episode and kind of clarify a little bit. We were talking about other radio shows that we listened to as kids, and I'm afraid that I may have come across as a little bit disparaging of some of the lower budget children's shows that were on the air when I was a kid. And I want to clarify that I did not mean to be disparaging of these. These were legitimate programs, legitimate ministries to kids. Shows like Children's Bible Hour and things like that, I absolutely listened to them, and uh, they were absolutely worth making. So just having a lower budget, lower production values is not something to be ashamed of. It's not a mark of lack of quality. No, no, not at all. We're recording this on a cell phone. Yes, and hopefully that's not a sign of lack of quality. So the second episode, Life at the Party, before we actually get into the story proper, this episode introduces the character of Tom Riley more mm-hmm. formally. Last episode... Yeah, he, he shows up. Showed up. He was the baseball coach yes. in the first episode. And they referred to him as Coach Riley, and he had a few lines, but he actually comes in as Tom Riley, the farmer that we come to know and love later on. And so as characters are introduced, particularly characters that are going to be with us for a while, we like to talk a little bit about the voice actor Yeah, and we actually dig into their IMDb page and just kind of out of curiosity, what else else were these people in? These are very versatile actors. So Walker Edmonston was kind of a fixture in the kids' cartoon scene in the 80s and 90s. He did some bit parts on shows like The Waltons or Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, actually, looking through his IMDb page, it looks like he was in like one or two episodes of lots and lots and lots of different things. Yes. There were only a couple of shows that he was on regularly, and those would be Transformers. You could believe that. Yeah, and Elvin and the Chipmunks. So I guess he was like random... Random bit parts in there, but he was on a lot lot of of episodes. Yeah, a lot of them. The funny thing with Odyssey and looking at the voice cast is that it never... I don't know that there's anyone on the show who you would consider really a star outside of their work in Odyssey. These were very workaday kind of actors, but very diverse, very, very large careers. Yeah. Very successful at what they did. Mm -hmm. So really fun having that kind of cast involved. Yeah. So one other thing before we get into talking about the plot of the episode is kind of something that struck me listening to this, and especially back-to-back with Wit's Flop, is the economy of storytelling that takes place within these. I remember listening to these as a kid, and they're half-hour shows. Including commercials. So they actually, the story part ends up being about 20-ish minutes. Yeah, and I remember them feeling... They felt so long. Yeah, they, they felt long, and... As an adult listening to them, they're over basically as soon as we start. Mm-hmm. They're just like... We're writing through, notes frantically. through the whole to... story. And they cram a whole lot of story into a very small mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Which is both a good thing and a bad thing. There's yes. a lot of economy that goes on with that. And it takes great skill, actually, to tell a good, solid story. 
story within such a short space of time. Yeah, and have any degree of character development or anything, which Odyssey does. Yeah, they do, they do. They have the luxury of having a long series as we go on with arcs, but within, for example, this story, there is really good character development that happens within the space of 20 minutes. Which is tough. Very hard to do, yes. And with that, kind of a problem, but although I don't know how else you could work it, is that things escalate quickly in an Odyssey episode, more quickly than they would in real life, in any believable sort of drama. So sometimes they ramp up the drama, they go from zero to 60. It's stretching it a bit sometimes. Extraordinarily quickly. Mm -hmm. But I don't know any other way they could tell these stories in such a short time frame. It's just a matter of them working within the medium that they have. Mm Mm-hmm. The drama and ramping up the drama kind of depends on context. Sometimes it borders on a bit of the ridiculous, and sometimes it conceivably could work in real life. But also, again, this is heightened drama. The point of writing characters and dialogue is so that it sounds like it would happen in real life. That it makes sense within the universe of the the story. Yes, yes. And And Odyssey mostly manages that. As as a kid, I never felt like these were unbelievable. No, it's strange because there's an element of suspension of disbelief when you are entering into a story, even a story that's not a fantastical one. Mm -hmm. And as long as the story maintains its own logic, then that suspension of disbelief is paid off. And it doesn't feel unbelievable. It doesn't feel wrong and weird. It's a contract that the audience is willing to make with the author Mm -hmm. or the showrunners or whoever. Mm -hmm. If you're going to read Narnia, then you need to be willing to say, yes, magic exists. There is such a thing as a wardrobe that can take kids into another world and parallel universes and all of that. That's kind of the entry fee in order to be able to enjoy that story. Right. There's certain entry fees, if you will, that need to be handled in order to enjoy any piece of fiction. Mm-hmm. And Odyssey is Odyssey no is exception no of that. I think it does a good job of maintaining its own internal consistency. Most of the time. A lot of the time. There Most are there the are time. times when Odyssey jumps the shark, and we'll talk about that when oh, yes. we get there. But um, oh, yes. But this is not really one of those times. No. All right, so we have talked enough about story and general things let's get into the actual episode we begin not with a chris sketch this time we begin with chris talking directly to the audience which she often did yeah she was pretty meta and actually she does the same thing in this one that she did in the first episode i noticed that in the first episode she does this weird hey i'm gonna tell you about this guy who was a real loser and did all this stuff and guess yeah then he became successful and guess who he is And at the end of the episode, she's like, Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And this episode, she does the same thing. Hey, guys, what does it take to be a good friend? That's actually kind of the central idea of this episode. Does she bring up Craig before that? No, not until the story begins. But she says, hey, there's these guys in the Bible who were really good good friends. friends. One of them was a prince and one of them was a shepherd. Can you guess who he was? And then gets to the end of the episode. It's David and Jonathan. And it strikes me that this weird, like, question-answer trivia format, Mm -hmm. since this is only the second episode, this seems to be something like writers throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. Well, I think if we look at, and and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but we'll see as this goes forward, my memory of... 
the introductions with Chris is that there was no specific shtick that Chris had. Sometimes we had sketches. Sometimes mm-hmm. she talked to the audience. Sometimes like she showed up at commercial breaks. Sometimes she's just the narrator, and sometimes she's actually like literally in, in the, the Odyssey studio. studio. Yeah, not in talk- the Odyssey, like in the Focus on the Family studio. Yeah, and talking to the the producers. Yeah, and, and so it's one of those. I wonder if at least right now they're just throwing stuff against the wall. But I wonder if it became a kind of catch-all what do we do with chris let's try this thing let's try that thing and they allowed themselves the leeway i have no idea yeah she's um, a she's a strange anomaly because mm-hmm. she never actually enters into any of the stories well, and strangely, to my as a knowledge kid, i never associated her with odyssey like i never thought of her even living in odyssey but in the first episode she says we're here at my house in odyssey which i had never thought about that because chris never was part of the Odyssey characters. She was always an outsider. But how fun would it have been to have her show up at Wits End or something in an episode and everyone would be like, who, who are, are you? you? What, what are you doing here? And Chris, don't you know me? <laughs> yeah. And everyone would be like, nope. Oh man, what a missed opportunity because that would have been, been hilarious. hilarious. Anyway. So she comes in and she introduces the, the whole trivia thing, and then she leads into actually narrating a little bit of the episode. She introduces us to our one-off kid character for the week. Craig. Craig. Oh, Mo- dear. What was it? Moorhead, I think. Moorhead. That's what Craig I have written down. Moorhead, who is a super funny kid, loves to make kids laugh. Yeah. And yeah, then they And that's kind of his see... shtick as a character is yes. that he's this comedy mastermind. Mm-hmm. Which leads me into kind of a storytelling we go, problem. Well, yeah, that's we go into an actual here. scene at Wits End where he's essentially telling jokes to an audience. Yeah, and the and kids are all laughing, but they're all really lame, 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 lame knock knock jokes. They're the jokes you're I mean, unless you have an extremely intelligent and witty six-year-old they're the jokes your six-year-old would come and say mom mom i found a new joke that you got off a popsicle stick exactly (laughs) or the laffy taffy jokes yeah and the kids are laughing uproariously at these and i don't know if it was three in the morning or something then maybe they would become hilarious but so there's a problem going on here a little bit from a writing standpoint for me and this is a principle in writing that's show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Don't tell your audience something, show them. Don't tell your audience that characters are in love. Show these characters having these deep longing glances at each other and that there's this kind of tension. Don't tell me that someone's angry. Have that character raise their voice and punch a wall or throw something or whatever. The problem going on here is that Chris is like, hey, this kid is super funny. And then we see him. And he's not funny. Yeah, he's really not all that funny. funny. So I feel like it's kind of strange because there's a lot of really genuine and good comedy that does get written into Odyssey as the series progresses. There's a lot of really good funny. We have episodes that are super slapstick and hilarious. Yeah. And then you have, especially as we're getting into more consistent characters, you have lots of really good character driven comedy. Yeah. There's a lot of character driven humor with characters as character driven humor. Characters as foils to each other. Right. Is a big thing in Odyssey. Mm -hmm. And actually, like you said, in this episode, there is some character driven humor in the character of Freddy. So, he doesn't get the jokes at all because he's a literalist. Yeah, so as Craig is telling these lame jokes and all the other kids are laughing, there's this other kid named Freddy who's like, I don't get it. 
And weirdly, he is much funnier to me. And it becomes, it's like a weird trope in comedy where a humorless character, that's his weakness, that's his full boil. And his very humorlessness becomes the joke. Mm-hmm. Puddleglum in Narnia or Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. Nothing's over my head. I'll catch it. Yeah. These are examples of characters that just take things so literally. Yeah. They have no conception of humor. And therefore they're... And that becomes a joke. They, yeah, that, they that become a joke, a joke in themselves. So Freddy, who has no sense of humor, ends up being funnier than the kid who's supposed to be the life of the party. Just a weird um, observation. Yeah, so that's the whole scene, and it's a kind of a back and forth with Craig and Freddy as Craig is trying to explain the joke and then build on that. And he sort of starts as using Freddy as a bit of a punching bag because Wit says he's going to go get them a cold orange soda, and then I don't even know if he was trying to make a joke or if he was just saying... It's this weird extended... Craig is like, he's going to open the fridge and give us a cold orange soda, as though that's a joke. And Freddy is saying, what? I don't get it. The so orange is Craig cold because yeah. the fridge door is open or something weird like either that. Either Craig is being cruel and just completely stringing Freddy out, or he actually is trying to make a joke and it's bad writing. I don't know which one it was. But anyway... Then we... Well, and then Craig's dad comes in to fix the No, we freezer. follow Wit into the kitchen where Craig's dad is fixing the freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it turns out that Craig is new in town, and he's using humor as a way to make friends, basically. Mm-hmm. This is which how he becomes Apparently is not popular. a hereditary trait, which is something that Wit and Craig's dad talk about. That neither Craig's dad or Joan, Craig's mom, neither of them really... Are super funny gregarious voice. Although weirdly, we noticed right off the bat, Craig's oh, yeah. dad's voice, voice is Eugene Melsner, uh, who Melsner. becomes very important later, obviously. Well, much later. But this actor, oh man, Ryan somebody? I we'll don't talk about him when we get to we Eugene. We'll talk about probably we'll have to talk about him sooner because he plays multiple different characters. But as soon as Sandy as character. soon as he started talking, I was like, Oh, it's Eugene. Which was pretty great. Very early. Yeah. And his conversation with Wit is a really good example of inserting necessary information, background information, in a natural way. Essentially, this is a you-know-Bob conversation, but it doesn't feel like a you-know-Bob conversation. Because... Well, we need to explain you-know-Bob in case some of our listeners aren't familiar with that concept. So the idea idea of you-know-Bob, it's kind of a piece of bad writing, honestly is when you're having characters have a conversation that they would not have in real life for the purpose of dumping information on an audience. Like if I was talking to Rachel here and I was like, you know, we're married and we have a son named David. We would never have that conversation because... We know this information. Yeah. And it would be purely for the benefit of... It would be for the benefit of you, our listeners, if you didn't know us in real life. So anyway... But they're having this conversation that could have come across like a lazy you-know-Bob thing, but doesn't. It actually delivers good information to the audience without feeling like they are that kind of unnatural they already know. Yeah, it way. feels like a very natural conversation. And in that conversation, you find out Craig's family is new in town. They've been there three weeks. Craig's dad is a handyman and apparently doesn't have any other work beyond the work that Wit has been giving him at Wit's End. And the ice cream freezer is broken. Which, it's strange, just a side note, as a kid, I pictured it as being the size of our upright freezer 
in the garage, which this is an ice cream shop, so that would be a walk-in freezer. <laughs> yeah. So Wits End obviously is like the children's museum slash giant ice cream shop emporium thing. Yeah. And I'm not sure I ever had a conception of how big the freezer would have to be, but I imagine it's quite large. He's got yes. backup storage for well, yeah, the, well, not what he has out at the counter. Right. Well, that's actually minor plot hole that nobody would ever have thought of, but because the freezer's not working and his dad can't get it to work, then they have to... Wit turns around and says to the kids, who wants free ice cream? Because all the ice cream's going to melt. One would think that you'd have a backup freezer or something. Maybe not. If it's a walk-in freezer. I don't know. I don't know. That's nitpicking. We digress. So, Craig's dad can't get the freezer to work. It's making this strange noise that sounds like an ooga horn. Oh, well, I thought it sounded like a wounded animal. Really? I'm sorry. It's a... I, I distinctly heard an ooga. Yeah, it's, kind it's, of. it's a horrible sound it's anyway. Terrible. And so he says he's going to take a part home or something. I don't think he takes the full freezer home. But then so that they don't waste the ice cream, Wit turns around and offers free ice cream to the kids. So as the kids are walking home after that, you have, you know, scene break and everybody has eaten more than they should of ice cream. And all the kids are walking home and Craig is still cracking jokes and honestly, about just anything. We'll be annoying and won't yeah. sh- won't shut up. And like, oh, my belly button popped out because I ate my so much. turned into an Audi. And Freddy is cream. kind of not really in the mood for jokes right now. And the other kids are like, well, what's wrong, Freddy? And he's like, I, I just, I'm not in the mood. i am got a lot on my mind. And they say, are your parents fighting again? And you would think you're picking up on cues, right? Okay, he's, he just doesn't want to talk about it. And, and Craig just becomes belligerent. Yeah. Well, what kind of fighting? Define fighting. Freddy says, I want you to shut up. And he pulls the babbling, you want me to shut it up? Oh, absolutely, I will shut up. I'm going to continue talking about shutting up. And, and here he, we have the quick a, escalation. Well, and even we as a about. listener, he's annoying to me. Oh, yeah. I'm like, this kid needs... Well, I have known kids like that, and they're so annoying. Yeah, well, I think everyone's known a kid like that at some point in their life. So, yeah, some of us have situation. been kids like that yes. at some point in our lives. I'm sure everybody has had moments of being <laughs> but, a kid like that. But I digress. It's called being human. This is when Freddie just flips his lid. And well, and Freddie before was kind of comedic in his inability to get the jokes. Right. And now we have maybe Freddie is also just not in the mood for joking around. He's got a lot on his mind. And this is weighty problems while still being very kid level mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. This yes. is the sort of thing that a kid conceivably could worry about or have to deal with mm-hmm. while being just heavy stuff. Yeah, which I find it interesting they immediately jumped into the heavy stuff. In episode one, we had a fairly light kid problem in terms of any kid from any kind of family could feel like a klutz and not being able to get stuff right. This is a very... There's a level of dysfunction going on in Freddy's household. Right. He says his parents are getting a divorce, which on the one hand, that's very heavy stuff for a kid. And it feels like when you're talking about kid problems... If you want to go deep, you instantly go there. Well, I think it's stealing. a, I think it's just straight up a common that problem a common that kids thing. actually yeah. deal with. It's the, a trope for a reason. Um, yeah, the divorce rate is actually one of the big tragedies. I haven't done any reading on statistics, but I think but it's even worse now <laughs> than it was in the, you know, eighties when this was right, made. Right. 
And yeah, I know. I've worked with kids enough to know that broken homes are kind of the norm. Uh, right. Sad so to say. this, yes. So it's not. It's common, but it works because it is common, and it shouldn't be. But yeah, Freddie's going through this, and he storms off, and the other kids are like, "Wow, way to go, Craig!" He's been completely inconsiderate, and he's just left with this. Well, I didn't, I didn't know. know. And of course he didn't. He had no idea what was going on. But, but he, he also was insensitive. Yeah, he wasn't picking <laughs> and, up on cues either. Right. And not really interested in being compassionate. So next scene. We he go. goes home. And yeah. his dad is in the basement working on the freezer part or whatever it is. And he asks his dad if he wants to hear a knock knock joke. Yeah. Well, first he's like, Do you think I'm funny? And dad's like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sure. And then Dad says, no, I don't have time for your knock-knock joke, which struck me, as, yeah. struck me as very strange. No, it he's, wasn't I don't have time. It was I can't right now. I'm working. So he's... But he's not on the phone or anything. No, he's, he's working with his hands. He can listen to his son tell him a knock-knock joke. Yeah, it would take all of 30 seconds. This is probably the least believable bit of that, well, yeah, conversation this, this that takes place. This scene is where we get into stretching the drama in weird proportions. But again, they're working with a tight, tight time yes, limit, and that explains why things escalate as quickly as they do. Yes. But he's trying to get Dad to listen to a knock-knock joke. His dad joke, suggests he goes talk to his mom, and he, and he says, Mom's not home. Yeah. And his dad's response is, where does that woman go? Which to me immediately sent up red flags. I was like, what? What's going on? So then mom comes home a few minutes later and we find out she has been looking for a job mm -hmm. without his dad's knowledge. Well, apparently Craig's dad has been having trouble finding work since they've gotten to Odyssey. He's right. a freelance repairman. And Wit might just be giving him this work out of the goodness of his heart because heaven knows that I mean, Wit is a competent mechanic himself. Right. And reading into it, it is possible that he didn't want to hear the knock-knock joke because he is super stressed out about this situation of not having any work. And he wants to, he actually says something like, I want to do a good job on this so Wit will talk me up to, to other clients, other clients and, and get me more work maybe. And that then feeds into him. He kind of gets really pissed off at his wife over getting a job or trying to get a job when they just moved here. Well, and, and it's they almost, talked about he, he it takes it as like... He, almost a personal affront. It, yeah, he almost feels emasculated. Like, what do you mean? I can't provide for my family? And she essentially says, no, you can't. You're not getting a job. And the way that she talked about it almost sounded like you being a handyman is not a good enough job. You had a perfectly good yeah, job. Yeah, you quit your and, job and you because you had this crazy dream. Because you had dream this crazy idea to be a handyman and it's not freelancing working. Freelancing and, and they moved. And she's dissatisfied with living in Odyssey. She, she misses, misses her, her friends, friends and, and her everything. home. And it spirals out of control into and, kind of passive aggressive, petty. And in, the midst, like, and in the midst of all of this, it's actually kind of heartbreaking the way mm -hmm. it plays out because Craig is trying to diffuse the situation by getting them a knock knock by joke. getting them to listen to his knock knock joke hey mom hey dad knock knock, knock. and not they're just blowing up the dad says fine we'll just pack up the car and leave and craig's like no i like it here in odyssey and he so storms out of the house yeah and we hear the parents like oh darn well that was not awesome so he runs out of the house Hops and on this his happens skate. in less than a minute. It's very fast. Yeah, it goes very quickly. 
but he hops on his skateboard and skates down to wit's end. And we actually have this really nice little montage Mm -hmm. of hearing bits of conversation, bits of his parents fight, bits of Freddy Freddy freaking out about his parents getting a divorce. And this is illusion without, they're not spelling it out to the kids about what he's actually thinking about and worried about possibly. They're allowing this, and this is a sign of respect to their listeners, they're allowing the kids to put certain pieces together. Is he worried about his parents getting a divorce because they were fighting and he's remembering what Freddie said? Yeah, and I think that's actually, like you said, that's kind of a respect for the kids. It's trusting your audience to be sophisticated enough that you don't need to be so on the nose. Kids are smart enough, they'll get the subtext. Yeah. It's kind of a nice little bit of storytelling there. It is. It works very well. But he's so distracted, he wrecks his... His skateboard. Skateboard. And needs to... I don't to, know on what. I always... I don't know. There's like a crashing sound. Yeah. But he needs to go into wit's end and get well, a he band-aid. encounters he encounters a couple of his friends after he wipes out. They're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? You, you're going so fast. And he says, yeah, no, I'm fine. And, and he's kind of pulling what Freddie pulled earlier. He's like, yeah, I have a lot on my mind. I don't know what's going on. We might be moving. And the kids are like, oh, I'm so sorry. But hey, will you tell me that joke that you were telling Well, yeah, because they have another friend with them who hadn't heard the joke yet. And he's like, I don't want to tell the joke. And they're like, oh, no, come on, really? You tell it so much better. And they, they sort of push him a little bit. And he flips out at them. Even though they're not necessarily being They're not being mean cruel. to him. They're just... The Big t- kids. But telling oh. jokes has kind of been his shtick, like right. always. And, and now he doesn't want to anymore, and they're like, well, And they okay. don't understand, they don't know him beyond that. Yeah. Their friendship is quite shallow, and as it comes about, that's really Craig's fault, because mm-hmm. he's not taking the time to develop other aspects of their friendship. Right. But he freaks out, and he has this statement, he's like, you just keep me around to make you happy, well, who's gonna make me happy? Which sounded really whiny, but I understand. Mm-hmm. He react, has actual needs. As though he's being a little whiny, they're like, well, dude, Jill, you don't have to tell us the joke. We're gonna go now, bye. They were on their way somewhere, anyway. They don't just abandon him. So as, he goes into wit's end. Yeah, as distraught children in Odyssey... Yes. Do, he does wind up at wit's end for some ice cream and advice and comfort and all of the good things that um, he can get there. We have to talk there. about the ice cream cone. So let's talk about the ice cream cone. Tom Riley is Tom hanging Riley out with wit. Uh, it's the end of the day. We're nearing closing time. We've run out of ice cream and this is the last dregs of whatever containers were left over. So he gets peanut butter and chocolate and orange sherbet and orange sherbet all on one cone. And throughout the rest of the conversation, Tom keeps making cracks about this weird combination of ice cream and that it tastes so strange and he needs a glass of water. And Wit is like, oh, stop complaining and just eat it. And we have multiple exchanges of this throughout the following conversation. And I found that a bit strange because <laughs> if he it's doesn't... freaking ice cream, Tom. <laughs> if you don't like it, you don't have to eat it. This is the last of the ice cream. Just Get a glass of water and throw it away. It's not a big deal. <laughs> but anyway, this does actually set up this does set for up. a good conversation. And let's talk for a moment. I know we we're going to talk about this at the end of the show, but let's talk about foreshadowing. And right, the we've, way touched, that we've things, touched on it a little bit. But and yeah. the way that things are set up. And this 
episode for me is kind of a masterpiece actually of foreshadowing uh, it's very good it's very tight that yeah, way we've got multiple instances where things are set up early on that become important later the ice cream machine breaking at the beginning mm -hmm. becomes important because Craig's father needs to fix it. Mm -hmm. And because really of this instance later where Tom is eating this multicolored ice, ice cream, cream. Cup, the cone of many colors, which I thought was actually a really good pun. Yeah, but not from Craig. That was from Tom. Wit? I don't even remember who said it, but I was like, ah, oh, well done. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Well, and you have the irony, too. So that's the freezer. And the freezer is kind of the central linchpin of the whole story because you have it tying back to this, which is kind of the pith of the story, and the scene in the basement where he's fixing it because he feels he needs to fix it to get more work. And that ties in with the stress of we're moving and it's not working. And you also have kind of a foreshadowing of Craig's character arc with his exchange with Freddy in the beginning that is pretty much flipped with his exchange with the other friends later when he's not in the mood to tell jokes. You have this irony of he was not willing to listen. And then his friends are not, his willing, friends to are not willing to listen later. later. Yeah, and that turns out that's a pretty good way to develop a story. Right, right. And you had, you know, we were talking about Freddy's family situation then is mirrored in his family situation and with the montage, they sort of lead the listener to connect the two. This ice cream cone, though, that Tom is eating. Yes. Turns out to be important because Tom is eating this ice cream cone and he finds a raspberry seed or what he claims is a raspberry seed, which should be impossible, apparently, because there is no raspberry ice cream. So I have no idea how this raspberry seed got mixed in. It was on the same scoop that he scooped the raspberry ripple and then he scooped out of the orange. And so you had some raspberry ripple that came off into the orange ice cream. There you go. <laughs> now we know the mystery is solved. But Tom finds the raspberry seed in the ice cream cone. And this leads to a conversation where they're like, hey, if I was to plant this raspberry seed, would it grow oranges? And of course, it doesn't work that way. And Tom's saying, I'm a farmer. I know how these things work. This is obvious stuff. And then Wit takes that concept and talks to Craig about his problem. You reap what you sow. Yeah, this idea of you reap what you sow. Have you been sowing seeds of compassion with your friends or have you just been goofing off with them? And this idea of your friendship only, you'll get out of it what you what put you into it. it. And you've only been putting in a certain type of friendship seed, as it were, the lighthearted jokes and laughing and so you can't expect to get anything more than that out of your friendships he says it much nicer than y that. yeah it sounds but, very dour but, but it's actually a really good and kind of deep mm -hmm. concept mm -hmm. about investing in other people and what it takes to be a good friend that said i have to take some issue with the way that this is developed well okay so let's pause for a second because the way that he presents it to Craig is fine. And then you have Freddy comes in and he has the opportunity to pour into Freddy and they go to the back to look at the display. Well, and they really make up. And yeah. Craig and Freddy, everything is hunky-dory. They turn out okay. Well, it turns out also they're not moving away because unlike Davy, Craig is actually a more put-together kid and goes and calls home to tell his parents where he's been and yeah. finds out that they're not moving. Anyway, he and Freddy go to the back and that's when... 
Tom have... turns to Wit and says, how in the world do you do that? And Wit says, what does he Well, mean? and this how in the world do you do that is a oh, weird yeah. statement from Tom because he's like, how do you make a lesson out of ordinary stuff? And this is weird for Tom because Tom himself becomes a source of wisdom and... There are several characters. Common sense and yeah. object lessons and mm-hmm. stuff as the series progresses. As the series progresses, we have about four good old men of Odyssey, as it were, who are founts of wisdom. And Tom and Wit are essentially the two top and ones. And later on, Jack Allen. Jack Allen, Bernard Walton. Yeah, the four. Yeah. But, you know... There was none that was greater than the one, and there was none that was greater than the one. If we're talking about the mighty men of Odyssey. And and the mightiest of all was Johnny Free Yes, exactly. (laughs) And beside him was Tom Riley, but he did not exceed to the one. Anyway. Anyway, this is strangely out of character for Tom, but since this is the second episode... Probably at that point, they don't know Tom Yeah, they're still evolving uh these characters. Yeah. So, what Wit says is this... Well, haven't you heard the Bible has this quote that says, what you sow, you shall also reap, which sounds great and sounds fine. But for me, it made kind of some red flags pop up a little bit. And I was like, eh. Well, partially because you said this earlier, that's become a cultural truism. You reap what you sow. Yeah. Because it's come from this verse. So anytime we have that, like the cleanliness is next to godliness, or my hackles get up when someone says, do not judge lest you be judged. Because particularly the verses that have become truisms tend to be taken out of context a lot. And that's the case with this one. So I actually looked this one up just to kind of get some surrounding context. And this comes out of Galatians. I'll go ahead and read it right now. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. This is New American Standard. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who flows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So the way wit is using this verse is to talk about planting seeds within a friendship, investing in people. But then what the verse is actually about, the context is about the consequences of sin and righteousness, Mm -hmm. which might be a somewhat subtle difference. What are your thoughts? All right. There is a difference. There is absolutely nothing wrong with using the truism you reap what you sow as an example of sowing seeds in a friendship that totally works the difficulty is that you cannot make the bible say what it's not saying yeah and to say did you ever hear the bible verse you reap what you sow in this context is to imply that that is what the bible is actually talking about in this verse And it's not. The problem is that you can't take scripture and make it mean whatever is convenient for you or whatever you want it to. Even if the message is good, which we would certainly agree, this is a good message. Yes. It's just simply not what the Bible is saying here. Right. And the reason why we're making a stink about this is because there is a big difference between this kind of thing happening in a casual conversation, which often does. 
and this being intentionally written by somebody. So in a casual conversation, most of the time, people are speaking seconds after they actually think of what they're going to say. And so to say, wait a second, isn't there some verse in the Bible that says you reap what you sow? And to use that as an illustration... Makes sense makes in sense, an everyday conversation. And there is grace to accommodate for that. And odds are you're going to go look up the verse and say, okay, well, it, it's not actually what it's going to say, but this is a truism, blah, 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 you know, and we go on from there. But somebody sitting down and intentionally crafting a story with this in mind, Odyssey is created for children to teach children moral lessons. They have time to have looked the scripture up and chosen whether or not to use it based on the context, based on what it actually was saying, and yet they chose to use it in this way, out of context, and with all of the implications that come with it. And that is a problem because you are misusing scripture I think it's, to teach kids. I think it's lazy. I don't think that it's intentional. Well, yes, it's lazy hermeneutics. Which... And that's a problem. Yeah. And I don't really have anything more to say about it than that. That's a problem. I'm thinking... Well, and the difficulty for me, too, is that, okay, maybe they're just getting into their groove. But further down the road, we have a specific episode where they specifically say you need to read the whole Bible, not just a few verses. Yeah. Talking about this kind of thing. And they're not practicing what they preach. Anyway. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that as we go, we'll find more better uses of scripture throughout. Uh, there are. I mean, we have a lot to go through. Yeah. So we're in episode two. So I'm sure there are plenty of good uses of scripture and consistent uses of scripture. This there just isn't one of them. hundreds and hundreds of episodes that we're going to get through. So, yes. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I would have probably, for my money, been more content with if they had left with just leaving it. Yeah, kind of as homespun wisdom. They, do. they don't necessarily need to have a scripture in there all the time, you, and I do wonder if they felt that need in the beginning. You could even quote the Beatles for this principle, <laughs> and <laughs> in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And on that note, I and, think we should end the episode. And on that note, thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Where can, where can they find us? On the internet. <laughs> you can write to us at serpentanddovespecfic at gmail.com. Just be sure you put podcast into the subject heading of the email. Yes. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give us a like and subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Write a review. The more people talk about us, the more people will actually find us. And then we'll be more motivated to listen to more Odyssey and keep talking about them. But honestly, we don't even need you guys to be motivated. (laughs) We Um, do need you. Write a review. We like talking about this stuff anyway. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Take care.